0: Hey, everybody, Tim Harrison, Straight Up Mortgage Talk, and today we're gonna talk about what the heck is escrow. We are super excited to have Nancy from Altus Escrow on. She is an expert. She is the absolute perfect person to explain what escrow is, how it works, and I don't know any of this stuff, so let's get started. Hey, Nancy, thanks for being on. I wanted to let people know what escrow was and all that good stuff and when I thought about like the expert to explain this I thought Nancy's the one that trains escrows throughout the country she's kind of the best expert I know in the business and so I said I'm gonna call Nancy to see if she'd do it so thank you very much for being on I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you Tim for the opportunity and I uh, really appreciate that so. You bet.
0: so I want to First question I have is just, can you kind of in a nutshell, tell people that maybe don't understand what escrow is, what is it in a nutshell, like definition, sort of,
1: I don't know what the heck it is. What is it? Okay, great. First, I'm going to start with a little history, you know, and I think this is really going to help. Yeah. So do you know what year the first escrow was actually consummated? Do you have any idea? Oh my
0: God. I'm going to go like.
1: 1721 well you're a little off it was 1895 and this is how it happened and this is how it all began which i think is really interesting i'm kind of a nut for history so basically this guy walks into a company called title insurance and trust company which ultimately evolved into a company that we know today and he left with the clerk says hey here's my certificate of title here's a grant deed and John Doe is going to buy my property, but I got to go out of town and I don't know what to do. So the clerk goes, okay, well, just give me your deed and give me your tax um, certificate. And how much is the buyer supposed to pay for it? It's like $1,000. He goes, great. When the buyer gives me the $1,000, I will give him the certificate of title and the deed. So therefore, that is the first escrow that was consummated and stuff. Ah, so basically." Awesome. Yeah, escrow, we're we're a holding person, we're a neutral third party. We don't work for the buyer or for the seller. We just hate fa- we just help facilitate the transaction. So you know you have documents that have to be transferred from one to the other and money that has to correspond with that. So that's what we do. So there's none of this like give and take, like, I don't want to let go of my money, I don't want to let go of my documents. What do we do? You deposit it with an escrow person. So and we're actually called escrow holders because we hold the documents and the money and stuff. So that's actually how it first started. So all of when you hold
0: money right mm-hmm. because my next question is about deposits and people always get nervous about that down payment on their deposit and stuff but when you hold money can you explain explain escrow and the? i guess it's the fiduciary responsibility of escrow for those funds because as i understand it and i could be wrong that's why i have you not me talking about escrow is that if Once that money goes, let's say I buy a property, you know, half a million dollars and -hmm. I got to put, you know, $20,000 on deposit, that $20,000 deposit, as I understand now is held in escrow and there's like certain fiduciary responsibilities or trust funds or something like that, that goes into the whole, those funds are now part of the transaction. They're not really that individuals now. How does that work? Like that deposit that's held there.
1: You're absolutely correct. So Woo-hoo! the money you are see. Right. So yeah, you've been listening That's to so me. So exciting. <laughs> So,
0: I've learned, I've learned from Nancy.
1: Um, All right. <laughs> so basically, in the contract, when you write a contract, um, you know, Tim, you're going to buy the house from me, and I mm-hmm. want you to put money into escrow, good faith to show that you really want to buy buy it, right? So you're going to put twenty thousand dollars into escrow, and that is part of consummating the contract. And if we don't receive a deposit into escrow, we technically don't have an escrow we need those funds those funds actually go into an interest uh non-interest-bearing trust account where it's not the buyer's money at that point it's not the seller's money at that point because we're just holding holding the money for consummation of whatever is going to and happen it's not the escrow company's money that's what it is not the being escrow, held in it, trust
0: means it exactly. cannot be mixed in your regular operating budgets payrolls anything Correct. it is a completely separate account
1: right it is completely separate and then here's another fun fact for you is that hmm. we have esc- every file has an escrow number and people are going to say wow we have that250,000 dollars you know FDIC insurance what happens with it well oh. it is not the total sum of our trust account it's each individual file that we oh, have that is insured if something should happen on a particular day so you know um, so every
0: actually- escrow number or account is insured up to that 250 just like our savings checking and stuff like that see i didn't actually know that they were insured yes in escrow i actually never even thought of that i just thought well it's being held somewhere in a private little account they can't touch it but i didn't actually understand it's fdic insured i'm sure when i passed some test, i knew that for like five minutes (laughs) right
1: So our trust account, so I am, Maltus Escrow, is licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, a new name change. And part of my license is, is those trust account funds, and actually our general account has to be banked with a bank that is FDIC insured. So it is a requirement of my license that I have that you know banked with a bank that provides that insurance. So if there are funds on transactions that we cannot do because they can't go into a federally insured. Bank, we can't do those types of transactions, and that would be, you know, your your um, I would say your marijuana escrows and stuff. So you know, we <laughs> cannot uh, do a lot of money in that. You sure money. you can't
0: get licensed in that?
1: <laughs> and your staff you know, will
0: be a lot more relaxed. I'm just saying. you know we
1: we you know I think the whole industry would be happier at the month
0: end as far
1: as that goes. Escrow is yeah. a little stressful. I
0: have to say they could use a little yeah. of that uh, green business. A little
1: brownies, right? A little
0: bit of green business, right?
1: <laughs> so. Explain when a
0: buyer puts deposit. We know it's safe Mm -hmm. now. It's FDI insured. Hey, I learned something new. Now that money's in deposit. They're going Mm -hmm. through the escrow. People are super wigged out. Like once they put that $20,000, it's like gone. But there's certain timeframes in the contract, like contingency for inspection, for appraisal, for loan, full approval and release and everything. That money is being held in deposit. And two things. One, it just goes towards the total cash to close, granted the transaction closes, right? Let's say they Mm -hmm. they actually don't have a problem with inspections and that kind of thing. So that buyers don't get so nervous about putting their deposit down. Let's say they found out that the house was falling off the foundation and it was, or they drove by in the middle of the night and, you know, the hell's angels hang around in the front yard or something. I don't know. So that's, that's that was a big motorcycle gang when I was a kid. I don't know anymore. So, <laughs> and they decide they're going to pull out before one of those contingencies. What happens with that deposit?
1: Well, that kind of leads to another question you'd ask me is um, it sits in there until we have mutual signed cancellation instructions for the disbursement right. of those funds. So the seller can't say hey. I want it. And the buyer says, I want it. Um, we sit and wait until we have, you know, mutually agreed upon disbursements. And that's what escrow instructions are. And that's how we operate. We operate on instructions. Buyers and sellers are the principles to our transaction. And they instruct us on what they want happen to happen in their transaction. Whether there's a termite company, a termite report or home protection, you know, we have to make sure that we have an instruction to do what, what they want to do in the transaction
0: from either sire, belt, seller, or buyer, or both, but they follow the contract, so the contract says there's an inspection period for 17 days, and if the borrower says, I'm not happy with the inspection, I'm going to cancel the transaction, then the, they go to the contract that says that deposit would be refunded to the buyer in a yeah. normal contract.
1: In a normal contract, and that would be section 14, yes, it does say that. However, licensed by the Department of Financial Protection Innovation, we have to have a separate disbursement in regards to those funds. I just can't release it to the buyer or to the seller, which is that provision in there. It's an automatic provision. We need to have something in writing what to do with those funds because- the cancellation
0: approved by both buyer and seller.
1: Correct, because it depends on when it cancels. So if usually in the beginning of the transaction, and they cancel most of the time funds are returned to the buyer however if there are things that we had to do like um, an HOA or something and funds need to be dispersed or we need to be reimbursed for that that would come through the come you're out speaking, of that
0: Speaking you're speaking mortgage and escrow talk HOA homeowners association Sorry. to transfer that property they sometimes always require some sort of funds up front to transfer that, that file or get the covenants and whatever the heck you call those things, CCNRs over to the buyer. And so they might charge two, 300 bucks to get those things so that the buyer can review them. If escrow or somebody's had to pay them, then of course they, and you cancel later, they're going to want those funds because they had to pay for them out of the escrow. So that's what she's talking about with like other potential bills, or maybe the termite was already done or whatever else there might be some restrictions on that but t- deposit. But in a normal case, that kind of, like you said, the escrow or the cancellation of that escrow happens real early. Like the right. That's why they have the inspection period on the property in that seven to 10 day period of time, because they want to make sure that before money starts getting spent, before we start paying for CC&Rs, before we start paying for termite and all that, that we either find out whether it's a go or not, because otherwise there's no reason to spend anybody's money and the refund gets 100% back to the buyer because they cancel. correct.
1: Okay, correct awesome. and right. normal, rights. correct.
0: All right, so now I wanna get into the weird one that people don't quite understand. You probably have to answer this a lot. And that is when you're going through an escrow, there's a statement of information form that has to be filled mm-hmm. out in a title company. You get to be the bearer of bad news and ask the buyers and probably sellers to fill this out but it's really for the title company to get sort of on find out information. Can you explain what is the statement of information? Why do they use it? Why is it important?
1: Sure, so the statement of information, or as we call it an SI, you, you might see it um, named that way, is a form that you complete. So we can tell um, basically things about you. So your social security number, your, your um, driver's license, where you've lived, where you work, The reason why we need that information is because things are recorded, such as deeds of trust or liens against people and against property, that part of our job, our facilitator job working with the title company is to clear those liens. So if someone had a common name like Smith, Jones, Gutierrez, Rodriguez, Harrison, mine's a little different, Silverberg, um, but... Yeah, well. So if if you have such a name, you know, there could be thousands of liens against that same name. You know, the likelihood is, you know, it could be someone else. So we need that information. It could be somebody
0: else's child support, not Tim Harrison,
1: Tim yes. Clay
0: Harrison, right? They ask for the middle yes. initial. They ask for as much detail as possible, especially if you have a simple name like mine that you don't just put Tim Harrison on your documents. You probably fill out that stuff and say, Timothy Clay Harrison, because you want to try to differentiate as much as possible from some other deadbeat Tim Harrison. There's no deadbeat Tim's. They're all
1: fantastic. Tims are great people. <laughs> is it but, Tim or Timothy?
0: <laughs> right. But I'm going to put Timothy on there because I want to make sure I'm weeded out. When they go to do that research, what we don't know, which is very interesting for people to realize, like the all this privacy stuff we find and we sign and we do all this stuff, and they come mm-hmm. to find out. The county recorder's office is like open season, right? I mean, you could have a bankruptcy, foreclosures, you could have all this kind of stuff, divorce paperwork, and there's really no restriction in that information being accessed to some degree because it's public records. But they also don't record things like liens, which is according to the county recorder's office, by social security numbers. They record it under names. So They're trying to weed that and addresses, right? So they ask where you've worked, where you've lived for like 10 years, right?
1: Yeah, for 10 years. Because typically if there's a lien out there or judgment out there, it's only good for 10 years Okay. Um, unless they refile it or it's an IRS lien. You know, the title companies will look at it. So it's really important that we have that information. And yeah, it's, it's kind of invasive, you know, but in order to obtain whether or not it's Timothy Harrison, the deadbeat, person that hasn't paid his bills and has abstract liens against him or not. We need right. that information. And sometimes, like you said, um, the county at one point, your full social security numbers were on these liens, but that information is redacted. It's only the last four and part of your address sometimes is redacted. So the more information we can get determined that you're not the dead Pete Harrison that, you know, the DA's office is looking for, it aids in us in order to close a transaction. The title company is ensuring a lender to be in a specific position, first position, and also ensuring a buyer that they're getting clear title. So this is why we need to have buyers and sellers or borrowers in a refinance transaction. We need to make sure that we're going through the public record to make sure that there's nothing that could attach to cause a priority issue with a lender or a borrower thinking they have clear title and you know there's liens on it. So, so that's part of what we do to help facilitate a transaction.
0: let kind of you know, I'm going to do a title insurance deal with my title team, but it kind of, it's so closely tied. I kind of have to explain that a little bit right now. So Mm -hmm. they got to get clear title. I go out there and buy this $500,000 house. My mortgage company is going to have the lien. Granted, I don't pay cash. Even if I pay cash, I'm going to have some ownership of this property, whatever is not owed to the bank. And I want to make sure that, like in the future, somebody doesn't come back and say, Well, you're not in first position. There's a mechanics lien. Somebody did work and wasn't paid for that property. There was some suit or whatever and a judgment against that property. And all of a sudden, I thought, or the and the bank thought they had clear title, which means that that we really do own what we think we own, and we have a loan of what we think we 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 have a loan against. The title company is the one that has to do these SIs or statement of information because they have, they're the ones that come back and guarantee as lenders and you as buyers that we do have clear title, even if it's via insurance. So what their job is to actually, they're, real, they're really just big research firms to make sure that there's no surprises for the lender or for the buyer and what they do. And you pay title insurance, which we'll get into in another time to guarantee that that free and clearness right so that's why escrow has to be the middle people working with title because look this is big money involved in this and making sure that you don't have a surprise on something you thought was yours is kind of important so i always want to go over that statement of information because people feel uncomfortable about it like why are they asking me all these questions you already got my credit report you already got this But a lot of that stuff may or may not show up. It may show up under a name or a property, not actually on a credit report. So that's... The biggest one is like when the IRS lien shows up, right? That's the, <laughs> that's the. And, and as
1: escrow, we rest assured, we don't see your credit package. We don't see anything in regards Correct. to the lender. So sometimes we'll ask for things that you've provided probably to your loan officer, but some of the forms we have to be, that goes back to that instruction. We have to be authorized in instruction. So unfortunately, sometimes we have to have you fail, fill out another form for us. Just and sure just
0: because we're working together on an escrow and lender and title doesn't mean I I'm allowed to just pass that information over to Nancy because it's private information. So sometimes when you're getting asked for questions again, it's because we're not allowed to just share that data. It's your personal information, especially social security numbers, things that are considered red flags or easy to be used to steal identities. So when different entities are asking you for that stuff, a lot of the times it's because we can't just share that without approval. And even then, a lot of companies are pretty skeptical about doing that for you know suits and all that stuff. So, all right. I wanted to ask another question, like, what are escrow instructions? We're like, we already have a purchase contract. We want this agreement. We've got all this, or I've already made my deal with my lender about what's going to happen on a refinance. And then all of a sudden, I get this humongous package from escrow that I have to start filling out. Like I already did this on the purchase contract. What why the escrow instructions? Cuz it's escrow- basically the same kind of thing.
1: Some of it's the same but some of it is to once again instruct us to do certain things. Like we are to obtain maybe a disclosure report for you. We are telling you our money is going into a non-interest bearing trust account. We prorate taxes on a 30-day basis. So these are things that we are instructed to do specific to what we do. We don't ever see the property. So I really am not concerned with if you maybe, you know, have an issue with the drapes fell down or something like that. We don't get into that and some of the information that's on the contract in regards to inspections um, in guides to lot lines or something. We just need to have something right to authorize us to do what we need to do to help you consummate your transaction. All
0: right. So they get the SESC instructions. They sign a lot of the stuff is again, what was in the purchase contract, but sort of your stuff looks a little bit more legal, right? I mean, it sort of feels a little bit more And I guess now that contracts are done with DocuSign and it's all typed in there on the purchase contracts, it looks pretty legal too. And of course, there's all these legal terms and everything, but the escrow is really, other than the things you mentioned, restating what's in the purchase contract. You don't change anything from the purchase contract without an amendment saying we're changing this from what was agreed on initially, Correct.
1: Correct. So our escrow instructions mirror the contracts, as you Perfect. stated. And when we start doing escrow amendments, then we're actually changing what was once agreed upon. Um, it could be a vesting, it could be a credit for closing costs or something. It could be now they want a home warranty. Yes, I legal, see your title there. Legal
0: terms vesting.
1: Yes. So yes, vesting is how you're going to hold title. So is it just going to be Timothy Harrison? And are you a married man or a single man, an unmarried man? Um,
0: depends, on, depends on the mood of the wife, if I'm still married. But <laughs> so far, so good. 33 years later, okay, but right. yeah. So vesting is you have to instruct Nancy and team or the escrow company, how you want to hold title. Do you want to hold it as joint tenants? Somebody dies, it goes to the other person. Do you want to hold it in a trust? Do you have a trust? Do you want to hold it in tenants in common? We all have these different rights. And escrow, although they won't steer you, they'll give you information that tells you how you might hold that property and what the differences are of right of survivorship or whatnot. And like I have one right now where I need to figure out how I'm gonna handle the title because I want different things to happen than other properties I've owned. And so that's vesting. And so you're handling the vesting, and the deposit gets put into your account. We fill out the escrow instruction, the SI. We found out, hey, that wasn't really Tim Harrison, the deadbeat dude that didn't pay his (laughs) child support. This is a different Tim Harrison. He's the good guy. Title clears us all and we're getting ready to close. So now, Again, if it's cash, real simple, not a whole lot of loan docs to sign, but then I don't like those people because they don't <laughs> use me. I can't pay my family. I can't get new shoes for the kids. So we've got the loan docs come into escrow or the loan docs are in, meaning the lenders approve the loan. We're woo-hoo, off to the races. We're ready to close. So... Escrow really comes in at the real like you guys are the closers. You're the important part when we finally get to there about closing on time because everybody likes to close on time because we have moving trucks and we have buyers that are the sellers that are trying to buy another house. And this is where everything gets super hot. And if somebody's off by a day, it creates problems in people's lives. And then realtors grow really, really big, long teeth and take pieces of our bodies out with the gashes because their sellers and buyers are taking it out of them and it rolls downhill. So what happens when you get to that closing table or, you know, signing the documents, getting ready to close the loan? How's that going? Like what, what happens? And when they, when do they wire that rest of the money in and that kind of stuff?
1: Right. So, um, great question. Um, I get this question a lot. What happens? Um, So, like you said, so there's a loan involved, right? Your company, Carson, got it in on time. We got the loan documents in. Of course we did. did. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what happens is that- Because we're
0: afraid of realtors, we did.
1: I think, <laughs> like you said, we're the backstop, right? We're the facilitator. We're in it in the beginning, middle, and, and we're the backstop. You know, it doesn't close until we say that it closes. So we better make sure that we're hitting all the right timeframes, as you said. So, yeah. so what happens is, is once you sign, once you buyer will sign your loan documents, there are several things have to happen. It all happens simultaneously. We're going to give you a dollar amount to wire, transfer us the funds. The reason why it needs to be a wire transfer is is a California law called the good funds law. If you give me a personal check, I have to wait seven to 10 days for that check to clear. Um, And you know, the realtors by then, I'm sure I will be less than my current height at that particular point in time. So a wire transfer is the best form of good funds um, that we have. You wire your funds in. That package, that loan package gets split up. Most of it goes back to your company, the lender, or in most of it goes to the title company. We make sure that all those things that uh, the buyers and sellers agreed upon are in escrow. We have a clear title, termite if there's supposed to be a termite. The title company is satisfied with everything we've given to them. You have your home warranty, your home protection. Then at that time, the funder reviews it, they'll fund the file, and they'll fund that money over to the title company. Once the title company gets the funds and we authorize them, we say, yes, record the transaction, they'll record the grant deed and they'll record your deed of trust. At that point, once it records, then congratulations, buyer. That is legally your house. Whether or not you have possession when it closes it depends on your contract. Some days it could be the same day. Some days it could be three days later. Then and at that's that-
0: because, like, the seller doesn't want to move out and find out, like, the person lost their job last second and they can't really close and they just moved out of the house that they're still going to own because some tragic thing like a loss of job or death or something happened. So. A lot of times if the people are living in the house, there's gonna be three plus, potentially three three days is the most common that the seller kind of has time after close to get out of the property. So let me back up a couple of things, okay? So you said title gets the money, even though the escrow is the middle people and everything. And the reason the title gets the money, remember back to what we were talking about, title guarantees the clear titles to the property title wants to get that money the title insurance company they want to handle the payoffs on the old loans or the seller or whoever because remember who's responsible if there's a problem in title in the future not nancy and escrow not the tim harrison lender it's the title company who's insured that so they're very controlling but I guess if I was insuring like five or 600,000, I'd probably want to make sure that I handle paying off Guido, the loan shark that had the loan against the property, and making sure that the paperwork signed and I have proper documents to say, uh uh-uh, uh, dude, you were paid off Guido, go away, right? So that's why the money goes to title so they can handle the payoffs. And then they can say, payoffs are cleared, Nancy at escrow, title agrees to let this record. And that means it goes to the county recorder's office where it's all public information again. And that deed, the deed, the thing that says that's an ownership of yours with the exception of the fact that you owe a note to the mortgage company is on record. So if I lose that information because I'm forgetful like that, I know somewhere in the county recorder's office there's a document that says, I own that property as long as I pay the bank what I owe them, right? So that, just to give you why title company gives that information, when you close the loan out, right, or you close the escrow out, the funds have come in, the title's done it, you've recorded. Now you're closing the file. And there's usually a few hundred bucks that gets sent back to the buyer. And why don't we balance right to the penny? Why do we always have a little bit of extra money? It has to end up going back to the buyer anyway, within how many days?
1: Well, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the per diem law of California. So wow. we, we bounce out between 24 to 48 hours once it closes because that process that you just described has to happen. The title company records and then they're going to send that payoff out then I have to wait for them to give me their figures, their payoff figures, and the rest of the money comes to me. So it just depends on when it closes and that wire transfer happens, could take an extra day to happen at that particular time. So in California, um, we have what is called, um, a law that says I can't f- close a file short. So it's it's hard for me to know exactly how short much- Short meaning you can't morning. close it
0: if you're a penny short.
1: Uh, a penny short, yeah. So yep. if I figure the file where, I need more money from a buyer than um, actually can have my license revoked. So we always have, because therefore my trust account could be short. So we always need to, and we ask the consumer to bring us a little extra money just in case the title fees, the recording fees are higher than what we've actually estimated. And in California, we don't have what's called average recording fees. The, the recorder records based on how many pages a document is. And then they also do it based on how legible that document is. And there's other things that they can hit the cost of that recording for, which in 52 <laughs> counties in California, you know, they're all a little different. So that's why we need to ask yep. for a little bit extra money up front. So that way I'm not calling the buyer. Um, I just found out this recorded for more money. Um, I'm holding this up. I need you to quick give me $10 or something. So it's yeah, easier... So-
0: right, so less than experienced escrow companies, we get those calls sometimes and they miscalculated proration on taxes or they miscalculated the interest. And all of a sudden they're trying to record and everybody's and they're scrambling because somebody made a calculation and now they're short and they can't close and they're trying to get the buyer after telling them that they only needed $26,515.36. Now they find out, oh, we're $300 short and they're scrambling around trying to get the buyer to run over there and get a wire for another $300. Um, This is why I like Nancy because that doesn't happen because she experienced, she knows what she's doing and she knows how to balance a file. So we'll we'll call out to escrows that know what they're doing. So that's why you pad the file, because you can't close it if it's a dollar short. Granted, you did everything right. You could still have underestimated that there was an extra page and that the county is going to record or pay charge an extra 20 bucks for that to be recorded. And so usually what happens, that's why people always wonder why we can't like give them an exact dollar amount and hold steady to that and know exactly what it is like. They want that in the very beginning of the file. We're like, look, title charges can change. Your title, you know, charges can change a little bit. Recording charges can change. The interest per day can change. The pro recs and these are, there's a lot of moving numbers that happen during an escrow company. And that's why you always see until after the transactions closed, estimated closing statement. When it's final and we got the final fees from the county, from the title, from the payoffs and everything, that's when you get the final closing statement and it says final closing statement. And that's the one you want to keep because that's the one your accountant's going to want for any potential tax write-offs. So in the final escrow paperwork that comes out, Nancy's going to send you or some other escrow company. We don't like them today. We love them all. That is closing final closing statement usually comes with a small refund so clue in to the buyers when you get the little check and the other statement with it that says final that's the one you want to keep of course you're going to keep the check but keep your no, hands cash on the that check. final closing cash statement. The check. keep the check cash, <laughs> it. cash yeah because otherwise nancy's can't can't close her dang trust fund account out and it drives her nuts right that's yeah that's yeah because yeah. if you don't cash the check and sometimes it's stapled in that paperwork that gets mailed out to you. And so a lot of times, you know, they're trying to hide it from somebody who might steal it from your mail. Mm-hmm. And then people don't even know there's a check in the middle. So look for the check. Might be a little bit of money in there. You can go to dinner or something. Hey, Nancy, thanks for being on the show. Super appreciated. I think it was an awesome job of covering what escrow is when people get the purchase contract accepted and they go into escrow and they go, what is that? Now they know they can listen to this and they can know what's going to happen and know what the next steps are. So I really appreciate it. So let's say somebody needs an awesome escrow person for a transaction, selling a house, doing whatever. How do they get hold of you? Uh, what are the kind of some of the stuff you specialize in? And when would they need you other than, you know, of course, purchase transactions and stuff like that? What other kind of stuff do they that would they need to get a hold of you for?
1: Well, first of all, Tim, thank you and your staff again. Um, We love working with you and your team, and it just makes it such a pleasure to work with such a professional staff. Um, You you know, buyers and sellers out there, you got a whole team behind you working, and it's very important that we all work together. Um, We at Altus Escrow handle many types of escrows. So we handle your traditional resale escrow. We handle where maybe a private party is going to loan someone else um, some money. So as a second or maybe even a first against the property, we handle manufactured homes, mobile homes. We handle you know business transactions. Yeah, business transactions. So if you're selling your restaurant, you're selling, you know, your 7-Eleven or your gas station or, you know, your dry cleaner, you know, we can help you do that as well. If you have a liquor license you're going to sell, we can help you do that as well. Huh. So if you, yeah, so, so we handle many different things. Uh, whenever you need that third party just to hold documents and money, you know, we're here for you. And you can reach me at, um, my phone number is area code 909-920-9187. I'll repeat that, 909-920-9187. And you can email to make the email address easier for you. You can put info, I-N-F-O, at altus, A-L-T-U-S, escrow.com. Private email is nsilberberg, so N-S-I-L-B-E-R, E-E-R-G, it is a tongue twister, unlike Harrison, at altusescrow.com. So, N Silverberg at And Yeah, just you do again.
0: the info at altusescrow.com because that's why she has it. It's simpler.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you even
0: say your name right, let alone, you know, spell it. So that's, you know, with a name like Harrison. All right, Nancy, thanks again for coming on here. Super appreciate this. It will really help especially first-time homebuyers. And honestly, you know, people who have been through the process a couple of times, kind of not really knowing kind of what escrow was in a sense, even when you've gone through it, it helps to just hear this stuff. So, and they don't know all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes for them with the title, clearing and all that. So thank you so much. Appreciate you being on.
1: You're welcome. Look forward to the next one.
0: Awesome.